0: All right, good morning. Good morning, Church 21. Thank you for being here. All right, my name is Jeff, as uh, Trent mentioned. Many of you know me, but if you're visiting, um, I've been here for about a year and a half. My family, my wife and I, and our three kids, we moved here a year and a half ago from the States, from Maine. And we came here as missionaries for a ministry of evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. So now we've been here for a while. We live in the West Island of Montreal, and really we're all missionaries. I believe that each one of us is a missionary because we steward the news that Jesus has given us, which is the gospel. And to guard that news, the best way of preserving that news is actually by sharing it, and that's what a missionary does. So a vocational or missionary like myself, we, some of us are called to go to foreign lands. For us, that's Quebec. But if you're here for school, for a work assignment, in the military, wherever you travel, or whatever neighborhood you're in, you are also a missionary. So that's a little bit about myself. I'm really privileged to be here today to come to God's Word with you. Um, As I've studied this, I'm a a pastoral apprentice here, so part of that uh, role is getting to come and practice preaching. And so that's pure joy for me today. And I'm really humbled to actually exhort you in God's word because it has so much meaning and value for us today. So, first let me pray that God would open our ears and minds and hearts to his word. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace for us. Thank you for giving us your word, which, um, though it was written thousands of years ago, still speaks truth to us today. uh, The most relevant truth for us this week. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are going to continue in the book of Acts. We've been in there for a while now for our summer series. And uh, we come to a turning point today. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, regardless, I'll have the scripture up on the, um, up on the slides. And what I want to talk about is how we handle change. Some of you have experienced change this week. Some of you have experienced change this summer. Life changes. Circumstances change. So how do we handle change when it seems like God is writing a plot twist in the script? How do we handle changes in our life? I think of one of my favorite shows, Lost. It was written by J.J. Abrams a while back. And uh, it was about this crew, uh, these these folks on a plane that got stranded on a deserted island, or so it seemed. And there's a lot of mystery in this show that unfolds. But as the writer, J.J. Abrams decides to keep the suspense and the tension throughout his mystery by not revealing the whole script to all of his actors and actresses. Most shows that an actor goes into, they know the whole script in advance. But for the cast, sometimes they would show up on the um, on the scene, read their script and realize, oh, things are changing today. I'm, you know, my role has changed. J.J. Um, J. Abrams has written this whole plot twist, apparently. And so even for the actors and actresses, it kept this suspense in the plot. So... What we're looking at today is uh, Paul, when he encounters this mystery, uh, and actually Peter, Peter encounters this mystery, but Paul writes about this in another book called Ephesians. He describes the, the events that took place that we're reading today as a mystery that was hidden for ages in God who created all things. So now we're going to look at how Peter, uh, yeah, Peter, how he follows God. When a mystery has been written into the script and these changes really confront beliefs and social norms that he's always held true for a long time. So we're going to walk through these scenes as they unfold because Luke who wrote this book, the Acts of the Apostles, did it with such um, intention to guard the suspense that truly was arriving at this time and place. So check out our first character in the, in the opening pages of chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 2 says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, actually I'm going to stop there, he, gave, he prayed continually to God. So who's Cornelius? He's a non-Jewish God fear, also called a Gentile. A Gentile is a non-Jew. So, but he also has this, some level of understanding and respect for the God of Israel. It says that he's in Caesarea. This is important because Caesarea was in the region of Judea, which is a Jewish area. But this little city was named after Caesar. It was a Roman city. It wasn't a Jewish predominant area. It had been renamed after Caesar. um, Rome had kind of relocated a portion of its government there and um, repopulated that area with non-Jews, with Gentiles. So there's a lot of tension between Jews and non-Jews cohabitating the same city and the same spaces. And several problems came out of that tension. But we find with Cornelius something interesting in in that context he's kind of picked up the religious values of the Jews around him. It says that he's a God-fearer, that he gives alms and that he prays, and those are two pillars of the Jewish faith. So he's adopted these religious values. But there's a problem for a non-Jewish person, a uh, non-Jewish God-fearer. And that problem is... um, not just the social the social implications of not being Jewish, living basically an unclean lifestyle, but there's also eternal implications of the, your relationship with God. So as a non-Jew, Cornelius could not fellowship with God or the people of God as a Gentile. He could not. Jews would not associate with him um, in this time and place. You were not set apart through the laws and commands Uh, And covenants of Israel. So Paul, again, this other character in the book of Acts, who was a Jew, writes this later in the book of Ephesians. This is how Paul would describe a Gentile. He says in Ephesians 2, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're following the course of the world. You're sons of disobedience. You're carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You're children of wrath and you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You're strangers to the covenants of promise. You're, you have no hope without God in the world. This is how a Jew would describe a non-Jew at this time and place. So how would that feel if someone came and said, you are not part of us by your heritage and lifestyle? What would that feel like today? But isn't this like you and I when we try to collect this mixture of religious values um, in our life. Maybe maybe we follow God kind of half in, half out, like uh, half of you wants to adopt these religious values, whatever works well for you, but the other half might not consider yourself really a committed part of the family of God or having a close, intimate relationship with a loving God. I think this seems really common in Quebec, where many people say that They are spiritual but not religious. So they pray when they need to, but they wouldn't consider themselves part of a church, part of the people of God, part of the family of God. They only use what works for them. So this Gentile, Cornelius, he could not fellowship with God. He could not um, fellowship with the people of God. But something changes. Check this out. In verse 3, chapter 10, It says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. This is crazy that an angel of heaven would come down to earth, reveal himself to Cornelius. That alone, we might glaze over that but it's really shocking that an angel would come. And what's really interesting. I find about this specific passage is that it says that this happened at the ninth hour. And that's not just uh, irrelevant information. The ninth hour would have been 3 PM, which is the time that the Jewish people, the people of God would have been gathering and assembling at the temple, just probably on the other side of town to offer up their offerings and sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. And the, the books of the law that God gave to Moses would describe that process as um, offering up a memorial before God. is what the Jewish people would do at the temple at this very hour. But it's at that same time that Cornelius, this man of prayer, is coming to God, not in the temple, but in his own living room. And the angel comes and actually says, not your sacrifices, but your prayers have ascended to God as a memorial before him. It's as if this sacrifice on on the part of Cornelius, in his own very heart, has brought God's attention to him. Psalm 51 says, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Anyone who's even um, remotely um, associates with the Jewish religion in that day would know the Psalms of Israel. This psalm was written by David. So it's, I don't want to speculate too much, but I would believe that a man like Cornelius could resonate with these words, uh, broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So the angel comes to him, and he has instructions. These are the instructions that we see in verse 5. And now send men to Joppa, Okay, just forward to the slide. Send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here's the instructions. The angel comes. He reveals himself to Cornelius and he says, go find Simon, who's called Peter. Here's where he's living. The angel doesn't come and give Cornelius a pat on the back and say, good job. You did it. I love you. Um, you've made it. Keep doing what you're doing. I find it interesting that there's further instructions that even though Cornelius has um, lifted up his prayers and his, his um, alms as a sacrifice, as an offering before God, that's not the whole picture. That's not the end of the story the angel doesn't come to just pat him on the back and say, keep doing what you're doing. He says, go and find Peter. This might be like us again. If we are like those who have adopted religious values, trying to be a good person by the best moral standards you've compiled around you. And there might be inherent goodness in that there may be value wisdom, but that's only good. And that it's reflecting God's character. As we are made in his image, we are made to do these things, but it still falls short of a personal loving relationship. If one could enter into such a thing with a creator, God whom Cornelius and the Jews alike fear and respect. So this would be like if my relationship with my wife, Jillian, if, if our relationship only consisted of the obligations of a relationship, but without the heart and the romance of a relationship. It's not enough to just do the right things and find out down the road, but you didn't know me. So there is some mysterious information that the angel comes and wants Cornelius to find through Peter. So what Cornelius has is is not enough. Otherwise God would have said so. He wouldn't have had a reason to send him to Peter. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Even though the religious efforts are not enough. So, Just want to remind us that adopting pieces of worship into your tool belt is not going to fix the situation if you don't actually know the one and have a relationship with the God who um, alone can have the power to forgive sins and, and heal our brokenness. So what is missing? Cornelius would have been full of anticipation he would have wondered, wow, an angel just came to visit me. He told me to go find Peter. I can't imagine what Peter is going to come and say, if this is even true, if I'm not just hallucinating. You might be sitting here in a place where God seems right around the corner, where he seems near but not clear. This is a story for all of us because we've all been there. Let's go to the next scene where we encounter Peter. So check this out in verses 9 through 16, what Trenton read for us. The next day from when Cornelius received these instructions, he sent those people. And as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter was up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and said a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So check out this really bizarre Vision. Peter is up on the rooftop praying. My friend put it this way. Have you ever been so hungry that you got delusional? Um, Peter is so hungry. He gets hungry and he has this vision and God tells Peter to kill and eat, meaning to sacrifice and eat all these animals that are actually unclean. Man, imagine, you know, just think of that food that you really don 't like that you detest that food that you never eat. imagine if I came to you and I prepared a whole plate of this food and asked you to eat, you would most likely de- you know reject that um, decline. but imagine if it's really someone you love, maybe it 's your spouse who comes to you and has made this plate of food and says, "I want you to eat this." You might feel maybe a little obligated, but you 're still going to decline. No, but imagine if it's not just that food that you really don't like to eat, but it's food you should not eat. Imagine it's it's like that game show uh, Fear Factor, Survivor, where you have to like reach into a box and pull something out and you eat a cockroach or a lizard or pigeon wing. Um, You really should not eat that. But it's not only someone you love telling you to eat that, it's God telling you to eat that. How uncomfortable would that be? We really need to feel how uncomfortable that would be for Peter because these animals, Peter knows, were declared unclean. This was written in the law that God gave to Moses way back in Leviticus. Essentially, he's asking Peter to become unclean. In the Levitical law, he's asking Peter to break the law. So we need to understand how uncomfortable that would be. Um, we should feel that perplex. But I find it really fascinating, this hunger that Peter experiences. He receives this appetite, this hunger. And basically, this is a, a strange occurrence of hunger. It might seem normal. It's about noon at that time. And so that's normally when we eat lunch, but this hunger that Peter overcomes Peter was a foreign appetite. This was a strange occurrence when he becomes hungry. And so they were preparing food for him downstairs. But you know, as we see, whatever, whoever they were, whatever it was that they were preparing, God was about to offer up something totally different. God was about to offer something completely different, but God was revealing a profound truth to Peter through this whole illustration. God has made these things and now he has declared them clean. Check out Mark 7. Th- these are the words of Jesus when he says there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. A few verses after, He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So it might seem like God is contradicting himself. He revealed in the law way back that these animals are unclean. And now you have Jesus coming revealing that these things are clean this is really shocking but it's not god contradicting himself what he's doing is he's leading peter to uh, a truth that's actually been hidden for ages and is now being declared so it's not that this truth it's not that god changed his mind but this truth has always been there and is being revealed through um actually what what um Christ has accomplished. So we see that for Peter, for Cornelius, a life of religious efforts, if they are only just that is like a fridge stocked with rotten food. What was once given with and for a time had full spiritual value had come to an expiration date where they no longer held that original value and meaning. It's like I came home from a few days away and I'm going through the fridge, and I'm finding l- the fridge looks like it's full. Your life might l- look like it's full of good religious works, but as I check things, these you know leftovers are too old now. The lettuce is you know it gets weird and brown and smelly. All that stuff. This is like these laws were good for a time. That lettuce had good nutritional value, but after its expiration, it's actually not good to consume that. It's not good to continue in these things, um, but. I want to show you, too, this was not just about food. Check out the continuing verses. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I've sent for them, I've sent them. And Peter went down to the man and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Peter was perplexed about this whole vision. He was trying to figure out what it means when just then those men from Caesarea came. This was God's answer to the vision. And the Holy Spirit came and actually said, go with these men that I've sent and don't hesitate. He went down. He talks with them. Um, he asked why they came. They explained who Cornelius is and the whole story of the angel coming. And this is really interesting that Cornelius was directed by an angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. Because in the first part of chapter 10, when we see that angel come to Cornelius, it just says, go get Peter. And that's all we know. Luke is writing this and he's specifically adding little details to guard the tension. Now, why am I going to get Peter? To hear what he has to say. So whatever this mystery is that's being revealed is... A message. It's something that has to be delivered by what he says. And Peter responds. Peter realizes um, this clarifies that the illustration wasn't just about food, though I believe it was about food, um, but it's also about people. So they stay as guests overnight, which means that Peter almost immediately yields to the Spirit's word. He obeys through this shocking turn of events because, remember, Jews and non-Jews would not associate because of the unclean lifestyle. You are basically becoming unclean just by sharing a meal with them. So the mystery is still unfolding. But look at how much you and I can be like Peter who are trying to guard our comfort zone. When we say, no, 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 I can't eat that. God knew that he had constructed a comfort zone out of favoritism and prejudice. Even if it was according to the dietary laws, it was far from the heart of God. So what are those things that we use today to maintain our comfort zone and keep our distance from people who are not like us? Maybe we say things like, I don't want to be influenced by them, by that crowd. I don't want to become unclean by their lifestyle. Or I don't want to give the impression that I condone that lifestyle. Or, you know, they need to earn their place. They need to assimilate to my expectations, my culture, my comfort zone before I make the first move, before I associate with them. Do we sometimes think like this? So we see that, um, let me see here. This wasn't just a foreign appetite, but it was a foreign appetite for the foreigner. Let's take a look at the next scene. This is when, um, you know, the men from Caesarea finally get Peter and now they're walking back to Cornelius' house. This is all going to come. We've, we've seen the character of Cornelius. We've seen the character of Peter. Peter. Now they're going to meet. The suspense is unfolding. So check out verses twenty-four thirty-three. On the following day, Okay, the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa, Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as as he talked with him, he went in. He found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew, um, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit one of another, uh, anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, well, four days ago, you know, he tells the whole story again. About this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your, your prayer and, has been heard, and your alms have a, been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter and some of the Jewish believers, the Jewish Christians, they get up and they go with Peter. The men from Caesarea are on this day-long journey back to Cornelius. The suspense is building and uh, Cornelius had filled his house with all kinds of friends and family. Can you imagine if an angel came to you and told you to go find someone and bring him to your house? Who would you invite? You would be full of anticipation and expectation filling your house with any friends or family. This was um, really suspenseful. And when Peter comes in, Cornelius just falls in worship. To Cornelius, Peter was like this divine answer coming true in the flesh. He's like, this is crazy. It's actually real. I wasn't hallucinating. You're here. But Peter gets him up. He says, no, I'm only a man. Don't worship me. But Peter gets into it and he starts. He says, Look, I know it's weird that I'm here. He says, You know it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. He knows this is just an awkward place. I've never done this before. But remember, if you've looked at Jesus' life, remember how the presence of Jesus among the people was actually shocking? When Jesus associated with gluttons and sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the sick, the unclean. Jesus didn't become unclean. They became clean. But his presence was shocking. Peter's physical presence is already a contextualized demonstration of a divine message. Remember that. Peter's physical presence is a contextualization. It's a demonstration of a divine message being sent to Cornelius. That Peter would come from Joppa and enter the home and fellowship with a non-Jew is mirroring with his very physical presence an incarnation of the gospel that Jesus proclaimed when he came from the presence and fellowship with God down to earth and dwelt in the presence of of man in our sin nature and all our brokenness. This was unlawful, but God has shown Peter not to call any person common or unclean. So Peter asked, why did you send for me? Luke is building more suspense as he adds to, he's highlighting what is this mystery that's coming? uh, That's unfolding here. So again, Cornelius retells the story, and he ends it this way, really fascinating. He says, now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So we see in the first verses, go get Peter. Then the second part, we see, go get Peter and hear what he has to say. Now we see, go get Peter, hear what he has to say, that he's been commanded by the Lord. More details are emerging. This might be reminiscent for Peter who walked with Jesus. He he might remember Jesus' commission at the end of Matthew 28 when Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Would that include non-Jews? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, what? All that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Cornelius asked, we're here to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Peter's been commanded to go and teach everybody what I've commanded. This is actually fulfilling the great commandment, the great commission that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew. Now, Peter's going to get right into it and and open up what he's been commanded by the Lord. This is the culmination of of the mystery that is being carried by Peter in his word. So Peter opened his mouth in verse 34 and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God, to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all Judea, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us. What has he commanded us here? He's commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead to him. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Amen. God shows no partiality. Peter understands anyone in any nation who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. And Peter really explains. He he unpacks as God revealed Jesus to Israel. Okay. God's chosen people through the heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how God sent the word to Israel. And that word became flesh. And that was Jesus. Peter details Jesus's incarnation, his, uh, life his death his resurrection his appearing after the grave after the resurrection that all the prophets bear witness that um, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name this is what he's commanded so this is answering Cornelius's uh, question his biggest question is li- in life is being answered through the gospel, this message of good news, of forgiveness of sins. The mystery that he's been waiting for is now clear. It's as clear as day. The mystery is this. It's God's will to offer good news of hope for anyone in any nation by forgiveness of sins through Jesus' name. This was testified by the prophets and it was verified by his life, death, and resurrection. So, um... This hope was being revealed now, not just to the Jews, but to the non-Jews, to the whole world, in fact. He, like Cornelius, he who could never enter is now welcome. Through this Jesus, the Jew and the Gentile alike are offered a new citizenship in the kingdom of God. Through this Jesus... The cure for all sin and death and brokenness is offered. Through this Jesus, the lonely Cornelius, who could never enter the family of God, has been adopted by God. Through this Jesus, the unclean has been declared clean. It's as if it, if any hope Cornelius was trying to find in his religious efforts were suddenly only a shadow of something good but now the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has become a living hope, not just for any, but for him and his household. Check out uh, the following verses. It says in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit came. The, in this message came uh, a faith and a grace that gave forgiveness of sins, whereby the Holy Spirit entered the non-Jewish Gentiles for the first time ever. And this was the same gift that the Jews had received on Pentecost when, they, um, when Jesus had been glorified and sent the Holy Spirit to be in his people, in his followers. So they baptized these new believers as a symbol of their full adoption and fellowship with God. Now you're in. You can fellowship with the people of God now. The whole course of history changed when this curse was lifted. Remember I mentioned how Paul would have described a Gentile through the Jewish lens? You would be dead in your trespasses and sins because there's no forgiveness for sins without sacrifice. You would be following the course of the world. There's no transcendence if all you're doing is existing for the ends of the world. You're sons of disobedience. You're not part of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those who have obeyed the laws and commands of God. You're instead your sons of disobedience, those who have gone astray. You're carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Okay, you're not um, living your life on the, the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. You're just carrying out the desires of your body and your mind. You're children of wrath. But check out what, P, what Paul um, describes to those Gentiles who have been saved through Christ. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He continues that for the Gentile, you were at one time, called Gentiles. You were called the uncircumcision. um, By what is called the circumcision, you were excluded from the rights of entry into the people of God. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and being without God in the world. But, again, I've got it written here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He has become our peace. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, which he abolished the law expressed in ordinances like the food laws that we see. So you're no longer strangers and aliens. You are now fellow citizens. All of this has become truth. All of this has become realized for someone like Cornelius Um, in an instant through belief in the name of Jesus and through forgiveness of sins. So that covenant that Cornelius was a stranger to was when God told Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, he says, I will make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yet Peter, a Jew, was fulfilling this covenant to Cornelius. So Paul, again looking back at the implications of this event, later on in Ephesians 3, would write that there was a mystery hidden for ages, in God who created all things. And the mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery, that now the Gentiles are included in the in the, the kingdom of heaven. So now I'm going to turn to chapter 11. We've already covered a whole chapter, but there's just a few points I want to make here. Have you ever been in a situation where you've experienced something life-changing, something radical, and and now you have to go and explain it to someone else, and it seems like all you could say is, oh, you had to be there. That's how I would feel. I've only experienced this transformation because of the specific series of events where Cornelius, this angel came to Cornelius, told him to come to me. Uh, I, God told me to eat this food, and I came, and you just had to be there. But now... Peter has experienced this truth. Cornelius has, but now he's got to go and explain this to others who are just going to be as equally shocked and offended by this. What would that be like to carry that news back to the church, which is what happens in chapter 11. So chapter 11, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, Criticized him. That was their first response. Criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began, and he explained the whole thing to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheep descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to me, and looking at it closely, I observed animals, beasts, reptiles, birds of the air. I heard a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Uh, But the voice said again, what God has made clean, do not not call common. This happened three times, and uh, it went back up into heaven. Behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were staying, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers, so there were six Jewish Christians with him, also accompanied me. We entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel, Um, stand in his house and say, send a Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He's going to declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. They had no more argument. And they glorified God saying, well, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So he literally recaps the whole of chapter 10, all the events in order. So, like Peter, the Jewish Christians now are faced with this challenge to really, at the The essence of the challenge is to repent from unbelief. To repent from an idea they had about God. To new revelation in following God. And following his heart and following the, to yield to the Holy Spirit. And this challenge, it still exists for us today. in the judgments that we make to maintain our comfort zones. What Peter says is he says, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? but by living in our comfort zones created by favoritism, created by prejudice that we make about people and nations around us, we are found standing in opposition to God and in the way of his mission. Who am I to stand in the way of God? There's a few things I want to wrap up this section with, and then I'll conclude here. Um, God uses people, uh, Yeah, this next slide. But anyway, God uses people, God uses the church and God uses your home. God used Peter to come and convey this message to Cornelius. And I found I find it really shocking just in that sense alone that God went to the lengths to send an angel from heaven to reveal himself on earth to this man. Cornelius could not then have God just as easily given that angel the message of the gospel, go and explain it to Cornelius and you're in. He could have, but he said, no, I'm going to give this message to Peter and you're going to go find him and he's going to come to you. And it's going to be through Peter that I'm going to share the saving message of the gospel. He uses people by God's design. He entrusts the treasure of the gospel to us. Even Peter who had denied him several times, God uses the church. He doesn't just come to Cornelius in an isolated event, but Cornelius enters the family of God and enters into relationship with God through the family of God. See, God's appetite for his glory will not be satisfied until the earth is full of his glory as the waters cover the sea. How he accomplishes this is through his church. Okay, it says that uh The church is Jesus' body, it's the fullness of him who fills all and all, all in all, and it's God that initiates the mission. It wasn't Peter's initiative to do this. I love the quote um, which says it is not the Church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission that has a church in the world. So God sends his people on mission together. And Cornelius enters relationship with God through a relationship with the people. God uses your home. Does the Jerusalem church we see and all its leaders sponsor an event and advertise this, uh, you know, apologetic for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews to come and hear the gospel? No. This event that essentially changed the world, basically it takes place at a dinner table. Peter welcomes Cornelius in fellowship they walk and they go to Cornelius house they come in and eat with family and friends the events that transpired here that changed the world take place at a dinner table God doesn't just use the 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 place of you know what we might call a church building or church-sponsored events or programs so the next world-changing event at least that would be world changing for someone will not take place at a church event it's not going to take place here but it'll take place at your table as we follow God on his mission. One last conclusion here for us. Peter says that there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Um, There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He gave this salvation not only to the Jews, but he foreknew in the mystery of his will, that he would extend grace to the Gentiles through the gospel of Jesus. And Paul says this, that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Peter, who had never eaten anything unclean, became unclean essentially, so that the Gentile who was unclean could be declared clean. Now you and I, this is the challenge for us. If we have been declared clean in Christ, we can go, make disciples of all nations, showing no partiality, taking down the walls of our comfort zones. And I want to ask this, two questions to finish up. Um, What if the neighbor who hungers to know the creator and lover of their soul, who feels that God is near but not clear, what if that same hunger compels us to fellowship with that neighbor? Because we won't know what it's like to go from famine to feast. And the only thing that we can do is to offer that to others because we know what it's like to be excluded. What if that same hunger drives us? What if we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with a hunger, a foreign hunger that came, that overcame Peter? The hunger that only God has for his glory to be filled through the praise of the nations. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with that hunger. As we go out, we leave our comfort zones today, and we fellowship with the stranger among us, the foreigner, the people that aren't like us, so that they could have a seat at the table. Let's pray and ask God right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your amazing grace that though we were dead in our sins, you came and made us alive in Christ. You seated us with you. You brought us from famine to feast. God, give us this hunger for your glory. You know, your your hunger, your appetite for your glory uh, will never tire until you've reconciled the world to yourself. But you, you use us. Um, and we fall so far short. We, you know, our appetite is far too easily pleased. And we just uh, create excuses not to go to our neighbors and nations. But we need you, Holy Spirit, to drive us like you did Cornelius and like you did Peter. God, I pray that even this week you would reveal yourself in these ways, um, that people would know you and give glory to you, Lord. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.